how many people here wait to the last minute to do their Christmas shopping? Raise your hand if that's you. There's like the Underwoods and me. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Online shopping's helped a little bit, but uh, but I tell you what, I just love procrastinators. I do because I am one, and uh, I've always done that. You know, just kind of wait to the last minute, and then I run out and I go shopping. And it's interesting because I've learned that shopping and stores are women's domain. They they just are. I'm just sorry. I mean, you know, you you got to be careful. And, and this gets magnified the closer that you get to Christmas. And I remember as a young man going out Christmas Eve, shopping at the last minute, running around. And first of all, the women were like looking at me like, what are you doing here? And secondly, I remember one time I actually got shoved in order for someone to get something. And I realized, you know, I really have no business being here. You know, it's Christmas Eve. This is the woman's domain. You know, and so uh, so anyway, if you are one of those last minute shoppers and you do think you're going to go out Christmas Eve and do some last minute shopping, I want to give you a little bit of advice. You might want to dress in drag. I'm just saying, I'm just saying it could, it could actually save your life. It really could. Um, you know, at East Point Church, we give life saving advice here. We really do. But the whole gift giving deal is uh, really interesting. Um, when you when you're kids, you know you kind of get what you want, right? Or at least that's the expectation. You get what you want. But as you grow older, what do you usually get then? It's usually stuff you need, right? You know the socks, the underwear, and stuff like that. But the funny thing about that is when you're an adult, usually you already have what you need, you know. And so it's kind of interesting wants and needs as as it pertains to Christmas gifts. And that's what we're going to talk about um, today. We usually say gifts from God, but today I'm going to talk about a little bit about gifts from God. Of course, the greatest gift from God, the birth of Christ. But I also want to talk a little bit about gifts for God's. Uh, the needs, the, Chris, the need is the gifts from God, but there's a want and a desire that God has from each of us to give gifts back towards God. I received an awesome present from a pastor in Ocala one time. He gave me an iPad, and it was really cool because I couldn't afford it. And, you know, in ministry, it's a very, uh, very cool tool. And I remember when I got it, it didn't have a case, and I always have to have a case for my phones and everything. You know why, right? Because, you know, I'm going to break it if I don't have it. And so I went and immediately I figured, hey, this thing was free. I'll spend some money on a case. And I ordered this case. And then my wife saw it and went, ah, you know. I'm like, what? She goes, I ordered you a case for Christmas, you know. And she's like, you're just so hard to buy for. And, uh, you know, it, it was one of the surprise gifts. But my point is what I need I usually have. And what I don't, we just can't afford anyway. But, you know, the true measure of a gift is determined by who receives it and whether we wanted it or whether we needed it. Well, this Christmas, what I want to do is I'm going to look at three original gifts that come from God that were needed. And then the three gifts that are wanted from God. And we find this all in Matthew chapter 2. And uh, we're going to run through this and see what we can learn this morning. Matthew writes this. 
Verse 1, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, check this out, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Now, normally we read right through that, read right over it, because, you know, we've heard it so many times. It's the Christmas story. But how many times have you ever heard of a newborn king? There's really no such thing. At best, there's a newborn prince, but no one's born king, are they? But in this instance, it's different, and he's actually born a king. Let's go on and see what it says. It says, we saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And another amazing thing about the text is that how often does a birth of a baby disturb everybody? It's just, it just, you know, we're always happy. Oh, you had that kid. That's great. Who's threatened and who's disturbed by the birth of a baby? Uh, no one really, you know. But in this, this situation, we see two things. We see a newborn king, and then we see that King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. Watch this. As was everyone in Jerusalem, 100,000 people. 100,000 people disturbed. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because he really was a newborn king. Because anytime there's a new king, people are just get all nervous. And, and they just wonder, you know, what's going to happen now? People are wary. And, you know, you shouldn't be surprised when you hear all these Christmas wars. And what do I mean by Christmas wars? Well, you know, it's not politically correct to say Merry Christmas. You're supposed to say what? Happy holidays, right? You know, and you have all these wars. You can't do this. You can't say this. And Well, these wars have been going on for 2,000 years, ever since the newborn king came into being. And so don't be surprised when you hear those things. Interesting thing about happy holidays, it's not so anti-Christian when you hear that because the word holiday comes from holy days. It all points back to him no matter how you, how you do it or how you make it. Uh, verse 4, let's read on. He, this is Herod, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And they tell him, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And this is quoting Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Another interesting fact, check this out. Over 700 years before the birth of Christ, Micah, the prophet, predicted where he would be born. How, how did he do that? I mean, you know, um, well, because God was leading him as he wrote. And yet, the interesting thing about this is, uh, Mary and Joseph didn't live in Bethlehem, and they lived 120 miles away in Nazareth. And we might think today, well, 120 miles, no big deal. But wait, whoa, 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 back then, 120 miles? It'd be easier for us to jump in a car and go to L.A. than it was for them to get on a donkey with a pregnant woman. And, you know, how can you imagine? 
the conversations between Mary and Joseph, 120 miles on a donkey. Poor Joseph, right? Not Mary, right? And, and, you know, and, and what it did was it took a census from Augustine to have them go to Bethlehem. Seems like it would be impossible, you know, for this son. I, I imagine Joseph and Mary wondered, well, if, this, if he's going to be the Messiah... How's it going to happen? We're in Nazareth, and it's very clear. The text says that the Messiah will be born. They probably wondered, and then they got the census, and then it's like, okay. You know, and we often wonder in our lives, don't we? God, what are you doing? How could this work out? But, you know, he knows what he's doing. He sees all things. He knows all things. And that's why we're called just to trust him and put our faith in, in him. We continue on in the text. Verse 7. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Verse 8. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go worship him too, right? Yeah, we know that's not what's going on. Verse 9. After this interview, the wise men went their way, And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. Isn't it interesting, these wise men who are not followers of of the God of Israel, you know, they're not. They're these kind of magi people. They're they're the wise men. They they would be uh, akin to maybe fortune tellers today, you know wouldn't be considered anywhere near religious, anywhere. And yet, they that are honestly seeking God, honestly seeking God, will find him every time. Let's go on. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Verse uh, 11. They entered the house, and you know, we always see, that's another little interesting tidbit, we always see the, the scene with the wise men, and no, it's in a house. Actually, they had moved on, and, and they were in a house, and they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts, and this is key, because these are the three gifts from God we're going to see, uh, gold frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. They probably didn't know that Herod was up to no good, but God knew, and he redirected them. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And that's key. We're going to see why it was key for them to meet with these guys in the house before they went to Egypt. And they stayed there in Egypt until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Very interesting. You know, if in the ancient world, if you ever met with a king, you always came with gifts. You never met with a king empty-handed. And if you were to give a gift, what would you give them? Would you, you would give them the most magnificent thing you could possibly get your hands on because, after all, they're a king. 
What would it take to please them? What would it take to impress them? What would they need or want? And so no matter what the situation was, you would bring the greatest gift that you possibly could because, you know, that's what it took to impress a king. And, you know, my wife thinks she has a tough, right? You know, get me Christmas gifts. But these three wise men brought three gifts, and the symbolism of these gifts is very profound. And the first gift that they brought is what? Anybody remember? Yeah. And gold is very symbolic and important because gold represents Jesus as king. See, gold represents the crown, the throne, a kingdom, his divinity. And it's very, very symbolic, gold. And it's very important that they brought this gift to Jesus. And then the second gift that they brought was the frankincense. And frankincense um, is simply, it's just a fancy word. It's just incense brought from Frankish traders. And incense is significant. It represents Jesus as priest because the incense represent our prayers rising up to God. Number two, incense. It represents him as our high priest. And then thirdly, there's the myrrh. And this is very interesting, very interesting gift. First two are kind of understandable, but myrrh actually is a, a type of thing that they would use to embalm people with. You know, the Egyptians would use it to mummify people. They would use myrrh. It was very expensive. And so, you know, it's like, okay, why would they bring Jesus something like embalming fluid? Why? Well, I'll tell you why, and it's very significant. Because this gift represented his death. You know, Jesus is probably the only person, I'm sure that I can think of, the only person who was born to die. The sole purpose of Jesus' birth was so that he could die for forgiveness of our sins. And the myrrh is significant because it represents Jesus as our Savior. He died for our forgiveness of sins. And these three gifts have profound symbolism for us. Him being a king. I mean, just think, newborn king, all of Jerusalem's turned upside down. People are, this King Herod who has all this power is trying to kill this baby. And then they bring these gifts. The gift of gold represents the throne, the crown. He's our king. Uh, The frankincense represents our prayers that he's our high priest. But the, the myrrh represents him, his death, and him as savior. And they have profound symbolism for us. But for Jesus, do you know that he needed these gifts? He did. This was a, there was a great need for Jesus to receive these three gifts. Because think about it, okay? Mary and Joseph were peasants. They were not wealthy people, okay? They had to get on this donkey. We see Mary. They had to go 120 miles so they could get to Bethlehem, okay? There wasn't any money provided to them. So this, you know, was very expensive. It's very much a burden on Joseph and Mary to have to go to Bethlehem and then come back to Nazareth so Joseph could work. But, but they didn't go back to Nazareth, did they? Where'd they go? Egypt, yeah. So not only did they have to get, go 120 miles, get to Bethlehem, then they had to go to Egypt where you'll see if you read on, they're going to stay for three years. How are they going to support themselves? 
How in the world could these peasants make it in this country, this foreign land? Well, I'll tell you how. Gold, frankincense, and what? Myrrh, which was very valuable in Egypt. Probably get the most money for all three of these things in Egypt alone. And so not only was it something symbolic for us, but this was a need. This was a need that, that, that our Savior had, that his family had, that God provided for them. It was a very practical way God provided what they needed the most on that first Christmas. And in a very real way this season, for God to work in your life, he needs three gifts from you. And I want to look at those three gifts today. But I just want to pause and just, you know, I was thinking about this when I was preparing last night to give this message. I was, I was thinking about um, why, do, why do we give gifts? Does anybody know why we give gifts to each other? Well, it feels good, but that's not why we do it on Christmas. You can do that any day. I'll tell you where I learned this from. I learned this when I was a pastoral intern many years ago from Pastor Bill. And uh, he probably doesn't even remember saying it, I'm pretty sure. But I tell you what, it's stuck with me ever since I heard him say it, and it's true. The reason that we give gifts to one another on Christmas is because we were first given the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. And it's, a, it's remembrance. As we give these gifts to one another, we remember the greatest gift we ever received from God that humanity ever received. And so I remind you that it's kind of detour from the sermon, but I want you to think about that as you receive a gift, as you give a gift, maybe focus on the true meaning of why we give these gifts, that Jesus Christ, the newborn king, was first given to us, the greatest gift of all. But as I was saying... In order for God to really work in our lives this Christmas, he really, you know, wants, God doesn't need anything, right? He's fully sufficient. He doesn't, God doesn't need us, but he wants from his children three gifts from us. He's the king, he's the high priest, and he's the savior. And we have to understand his death. Dying for you and I on the cross So whatever makes him king, priest, and savior, whoever makes him king, priest, and savior in their life can have true life. Those are the three needs. But let's take a look at the three wants. And they come from a Christmas wish list that has been written hundreds of years earlier. Things God wants. You know, I remember when I was young, I wanted to give my mom something for Christmas, but I was real little just a real little kid. I didn't have any money, so how do I give my mom something she wants? I, but I got this brilliant idea. I said, you know what? I'll write her IOUs, and I'll give them to her. Mom, I, I owe you cleaning the kitchen. I owe you breakfast in bed. I owe you clean, and so on and so on. And it was a gift that kept giving all year long. I might have regretted it later when she started cashing those things in. But, but it was a gift of IOUs. And just as I gave those, I think, you know, we have the opportunity to maybe give God an IOU. And that's what God gives us in this amazing Christmas wish list. And we find it in Micah 6. We've already talked about what Micah wrote. But Micah 6, 6 through 8 says this. Because what do you give God? He's got everything. With what shall I come to the Lord? With what? What do you bring to God who's got everything, who knows everything? 
With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? What shall I, shall I come with him, to him with burnt offerings? Is that what he requires? With yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in 10,000 rivers of oil? What if I could give him millions of dollars? What if I could do that? Would that impress God? Not so much. He's got it all. Shall I present my firstborn? I mean, what, what could be a bigger act, gift than that? Most precious thing to most parents would be their, you know, their child. Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then verse 8, and here it is. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? And here it is. And this is big. But to one, these are the three gifts on his wish list. Do justice. Two, to love kindness. Some versions say mercy. And three, to walk humbly with your God. You know, during my time in ministry, I'd often have people come to me and they would ask, Pastor, Pastor, help me find the will of God for my life. Can you help me find God's will for I need to know God's will for my life. And, you know, and that, that's a good question. And, and, and it pans out differently for, for all of us as we have all different gifts. But practically, in black and white, what is, God, what is God's will for your life? Right there. That's God's will for your life, to do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And those are the three wants God has for each and every one of us. What does it mean to do justice? Well, basically, it's giving people a fair deal. You know, it's not getting everything you can out of that business deal. You know, squeezing every little ounce out, but leaving something on the table. It's doing things in such a way that really is win-win. It's doing what's right. You know, if, you, if you're a young person, it's not cheating on that test, even though you know you can get away with it. You know, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do justice in this situation. It's playing the game fairly. It's doing what's right. And we know in our hearts what's right, generally right, to do justice. It's not just being fair, but stepping into situations where other people are treated unfairly. You know, uh, most of you guys know I got five kids, you know. So, oh, we forgot to add that to the prayer list. You can put that one on there too. <laughs> Parent of five, you know, God, God help us because uh, we're not sufficient. We know we're not. But, you know, I try to gauge the gifts of my kids and this one's gifted. I have one that's all about justice. She's just right and wrong. Her name's Sabrina and it's like... This girl's just wired up for justice. She would be a great judge. She just really would. It's just the way she's wired up. And she, 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 she does justice. But I have another one that does justice in a different way. She's my youngest. And she just has a heart for those people that are treated unfairly. So this is how it plays out with her. If she's at school, if she's at Lake Mary High School where she goes, and some kids are picking on a kid because they don't have the cool clothes, you know, making fun of them or something... My daughter just doesn't go to that person and console them. She speaks up right away. Hey, what's your problem? You know, do you have such low self-esteem 
that you have to ridicule some person because they don't have cool clothes? What's wrong? You know, she'll just shut them up, man. She's just wired up that way. She cannot stand to see someone treated unfairly. You know, and that's just the way she's wired up to do justice. And as Christians, God calls each and every one of us each and every day to do justice. You know, we look at the uh, we look at the um, slave trade. You know, there are more slaves in the world today than there's ever been in human history. And in in Orlando, Florida, in Atlanta, Georgia, the slave trade is just rampant, you know? And there are some people in ministries that are that are doing things about it. And that's what that's what God wants from us. He, that's what makes him cry. He's like, that's what I desire from you. That's what you can bring to God to do justice. And each and every one of us, you know, it's it's speaking up, you know. It's doing what's right, doing justice. And every time you do this, watch this, as small as it may be, you know, there's the International Justice Mission that prosecutes these people that are doing the sex slave trade. But then there's my daughter, it's no less, you know, to God that speaks up for someone in need. Every time you do that, you're giving a gift back to God. We receive all these gifts from God. This Christmas, let's give something back to God. Let's do justice each and every day of our lives. Well, there's a second thing. It's called love kindness. His second wish list present he wants from us is for us to love kindness, or most verses say love mercy. And uh, many translations use that verse. And what is that, to love mercy? It's letting somebody off the hook, you know? It's like we've been let off the hook, right, by God. We don't get what we deserve, so... God says, hey, I let you off the hook. I gave you my son. I want you to let other people off the hook. And, and it may seem contradictory. I'm not talking about someone does something horrible. We just ignore it and turn away. No, because we're not doing justice. But to let someone off the hook who maybe hurt your feelings. You know? I, I don't know what that looks like for you this Christmas. Maybe somewhere in your family, you know, maybe there's something going on. I know with me there's something going on with a person in my family that I've been really angry with. And as I looked at this sermon, it's weighing on my heart. I just need to let that go. I just need to let it go. And for us to love kindness is just to give a free pass to someone who probably really needs it. To love kindness. Letting someone off the hook. You know, there are religious words that we throw around at church, and two of them are grace and mercy. And grace is getting something you don't deserve. Unmerited favor. Redemption. Christ. That's what we didn't deserve. Mercy is not getting something you do deserve. It's getting off the hook. And one of the things that I've been working on, to be honest with you guys, I'm at East Point. I can just be real, right? Is, is uh, anger. You know, you ask any of my kids... What's your dad's greatest sin? You could ask them that too. They'll tell you right away, anger. (laughs) My dad's got anger issues, you know. And I've been, you know, been to counseling and dealt with this and prayed and begged and still working on it all these years later. God, help me not to get angry at such petty little things. Why do I do that? One of the things I do is uh, I've been working on is traffic and traffic. I don't want to get mad at people, you know. There's the pastor giving them 
the f- peace finger, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's, you know. Some of you know I drive a gator van, a very ridiculous gator van with gator stickers all over it. Part of that's because I love the gators, and we put those stickers on when we were going to a basketball tournament game. But I left them on there. I was going to take them off. I left them on. You know why? I want everybody to know who's in that van. It helps keep me accountable. They all know. Oh, and by the way, if I've ever cut you off in traffic with the Gator van, this is an opportunity for you to love kindness and let me off the hook, right? <laughs> but, yeah, and, but part of that's very practical. I do that. I want people to know who I am. You know, so, so it helps me to, to show kindness and mercy. You know, this has given God a gift. So during this Christmas season, as we do justice, we're giving God this gift. This is something we can do to him. But we can also love kindness. We can take opportunities to let somebody off the hook, you know. Let somebody, you know, get away with something. Maybe they don't necessarily deserve. But that is giving God a gift. Every time you do that, that's giving God a gift and it makes him smile. And then, of course, There's the third thing, and you guys could probably teach me about this, and this is to walk humbly with your God. Well, what does that mean? It means serving others. It means, you know, on Christmas, let's go serve the homeless. That's what walking humbly means. It means, you know, I'm not better than anybody. Hey, really, are we better than anybody? No. We're all in the same boat. We're all fallen beings. I'm no better than the the, the what would be considered socially the lowest homeless man on the planet. I'm not any better than him. Come on. Jesus looks at us the same way. I'm faulty. He's faulty. I'm sinful. He's, you know. And so to walk humbly is to realize that, wow, I'm no better than anybody. You know what? Since I know that, you know what? I'm just going to treat them that way. I'm going to serve my fellow man. Every time you guys go out and rake a yard and clean a yard and serve a meal and do that, you're walking humbly with your God. And I'm telling you, you're giving him a gift. You're giving him a gift. And it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. You know, Jesus gave this great example about walking humbly. It's interesting. It's when all the disciples, who's the greatest? Jesus, after three years, he's like, oh, man, they're asking me who's the greatest. I can't believe this. And so what does he do right then? He starts undressing. He wraps himself with a towel, gets on his hands and knees, and he begins to wash their feet. Gave the greatest illustration of how to serve. He goes, you want to be first, be last. Serve one another. Walk humbly with your God. And God calls each and every one of us to do this each and every day. Every time you serve in a soup kitchen, you're walking humbly with your God. Every time you volunteer for a nonprofit, every time you guys go out, you're walking humbly with your God. You know, even small things, letting somebody in front of you in line at the store, you know. And driving is, is my pet peeve. And I grew up down here, and I'm, I'm like, hey, man, like when, when cars are merging into traffic, don't speed up. Don't speed up. Oh, you're not getting one ahead. You know? No. Yield. Yield. Yield in traffic and yield in many other areas of your life. And every time you do this, you're throwing a gift up to God. It's not just gifts from God. You're giving a gift to God. And he's calling each and every one of us 
to do that. And these gifts that I've talked about today, they're really no big deal to us, are they? How hard is it to let, oh, I'm going to back off and let this guy in. Oh, I'm going to let somebody in. How hard is it? It's not that hard. But I want you to know something, that every time we do these things, it's like Jesus is in heaven getting this gift. He's unwrapping it. He's going, whoo, he's jumping for joy. The greatest gift that he could ever receive from you. And nothing could be greater than that for him. See, we, it seems like we don't have anything we could give to God because riches and all the things we count are valuable, they're nothing to God. But these small acts, justice, mercy, and humility, God loves them. And he's called us as the church, as the body, as the hands and feet of Jesus to do the same thing. We're not perfect. We'll fail. But, man, if we could just put this on our plate and say, this Christmas, I'm going to do these three things. I'm going to give gifts to God. I'm telling you, you're making Jesus jump up and down. You probably never thought you could make Jesus jump up and down and celebrate, but you can. It's by doing these things. And my prayer for you and I is that we would embrace Jesus as our king. He is our king as our high priest, but also we would embrace him for his sacrifice as Savior. I found this quote, and I want to share it with you. It says this, To have Christmas without Christ is like unwrapping the most beautiful and meaningful present you have ever received, only to toss the gift aside, to marvel at the ribbons and packaging. He came for you. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose for you. I encourage you to accept the whole gift, not just the glittery, glittery and sparkly package. We've all seen little kids do that, right? Little, little, little kids, you give them a toy, they like throw the toy to the side, they're playing with the packaging. Why? Because they're immature. Just like Christians sometimes are immature, and we focus on the wrong things. This Christmas, let's focus on the right things, the important things, and let's give gifts to God. And this Christmas, I challenge you and challenge myself that we would give Jesus a bag of IOUs. It would be to do justice. I owe you, Jesus, to do justice. I owe you, Jesus, to love kindness. And I owe you, Jesus, to walk humbly in everything I do. And as he cashes in those gifts, day after day, week after week, we can rest assured that he will have the biggest smile that you could imagine. Because after all, this has been at the top of his Christmas wish list for thousands of years. Pray with me. Father, we, uh, we just thank you so much for Jesus, the author, the perfecter, our Savior. He's our king. He's our high priest. Lord, he's our Savior. We thank you so much, Lord, for the mercy that you've extended to us. Help us, Holy Spirit, extend that to others. Lord, we thank you for all that you've given us, all the love, kindness, all the mercy, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the justice that will will become a reality in our life, and we get a free pass because of Jesus. Help us, Lord. In this life, in the here and now, to do justice. Help us, Holy Spirit.
And Lord, last but not least, help us to not only do justice and love mercy, but help us to walk in humility, to continue to serve one another. Lord, I pray that you would use East Point as an example, that they would not only continue, but others would see and do likewise to walk humbly. Because God, you deserve everything for us. And Lord, we desire in our heart to give you these gifts. We need your help to do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.